Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, I talked to Sam McTrusty of Twin Atlantic. And, well, as I say this so many times, you're in for a treat. Sam's an absolutely uh, delightful human being. Um, we have a wonderful natter about tunes. Um, before we get on in that chat, a few thank yous. Um, thanks to Ashley for helping put this together. Big love to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 for producing this. And thanks to you lot for uh, for just being nice, for pressing play on this podcast, um, for subscribing, for liking and sharing and, you know, doing all the retweets and stuff when, when you see me on the social. So just a huge thanks. Um, it really helps. And, yeah, appreciate it. If this happens to be the first time you've listened to this podcast, when you get to the very end of this Ace Natter with Sam, go explore the back catalogue because there's 350 episodes available and you can hear me talking to the likes of the Foo Fighters, Motley Crue, Travis, Swade, Idols, Sleaford Mods, um, James Acaster, Ed Gamble... Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Thomas Turgoose, Butch Vig. Um, oh, there's Chuck D of Public Enemy, Fat Boy Slim. Um, go have a rummage because there's, um, like I say, over 350 episodes with all your favourite musicians, actors, producers, DJs, comedians. They've all been on and uh, and there's some delightful chats to be enjoyed. Anyway... I have a delightful chat to you enjoy for you to enjoy right now. Please enjoy it off the beaten track podcast with Sam of Twin Atlantic. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um and what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners, go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast. Hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. 
Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I've not had as much sleep as I would like, but that is life as a parent. Uh, young ones? <laughs> uh, yeah, just the one. I've got a two-year-old daughter. Um, but it was it's actually my own fault. I've started watching, um, oh, is it called, I've now forgotten what it's called, is it called Squid Game on Netflix? Oh, someone was literally telling me about this yesterday, saying yeah. it's incredible. So the first episode is so bizarre, you're kind of like, it, I think it depends what format you watch it, and you can watch it, because it's a Korean show, I think, and you can watch it um, in like their native language with English sub- subtitles, or you can watch it like dubbed with English audio. And obviously that's a bit kind of sterile and it takes you out of the story a wee bit, but I, I, I opted to not read and just listen. Yeah, so the first episode t- took me a wee minute to get used to, but then I think I ended up watching like five episodes back to back last night. So it's my own fault. Right. I tried to, I tried to blame it on my kids. But I was it's just actually- trying to think, how in <laughs> any way, shape or form is that your child's fault? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, because I had to get up early. Oh, her. right. Yeah. 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 So had you, had you've gone to bed at a sensible time, it would have been fine, right? Basically, it's my <laughs> fault. But that's, uh, that's a nice little synopsis of my approach to life right there, is uh, I'll make a mistake and then blame someone else. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, looking back um, over the last uh, sort of 17, 18 months, Sam, yeah. Um, Obviously, we're we're recording this at the the end of September, and you know we're currently in you know what appears to be a more a better place than where we was this time last year. Um, I just wondered how you know just looking back briefly on on lockdown, like how that affected you personally uh, and creatively. Um. Yeah. Well, personally, I guess it was. Um, it's such a it's such a wild swinging uh, pendulum on the spectrum of good to bad. I think that the uh, the, the overall thing I'd, I I kind of go with the midpoint where it was. Well, my my wife Caitlin works in the hospital. She's a nurse, so it was quite a kind of a immediate effect to our sort of family life because she was on uh, maternity leave and wasn't fully qualified yet, but kind of had a gun to the head scenario where it was like, you need to come in and work for the NHS full time now or don't at all ever again type of type of thing. So we kind of had to change the whole dynamic and I became stay-at-home dad rather than the guy who was obviously... I, I, we, we haven't actually been touring that much because we were at home making a record the last, well, the two years leading up before the pandemic. Um, but that was still a lot of time away from home long hours in the studio and stuff so we kind of flipped that whole dynamic but then I loved it because I got to spend time with my daughter that I thought I wasn't really going to have in a consistent way um but then on the on the sort of um creative side that was the question wasn't it personally and creatively um on the creative side I kind of did what I've always done since I was a wee boy which is just when something it's difficult for me to process or relate to or emotionally deal with. I just, I kind of channel it into being creative. 
and that that's sort of why I got into music in the first place. I think um, that's what it sort of means to me, rather than this sort of um, identity tag of like coolness or something like that. Sure. It's more of an emotional connection for me. And so I brought stuff home from our studio, and just in my spare time between looking after Sadie or on Caitlin's days off, I would then kind of go into the. It was it was actually uh, my daughter's spare room. I ended up making an album, a full album. Um, kind of by mistake because it, I, 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 I reached out to someone that I was meant to be going to America I was meant to be going to California to write a song with someone I'd worked with before and so at the beginning of lockdown kind of like everyone else I was like ah, this will be like a couple of months tops but I'll reach out to this guy and see if we're still going to do it or if we could do it remotely because I'd heard people had started to do that in the first week or two and then all of his stuff had been cancelled so the two of us basically just went, that was quite good. Will we do another one? Will we do another one? And in the first six weeks of lockdown, I kind of up, ended up with a full record. By mistake, but I love it. Sorry, that's quite a lot. That was quite a no, long No, no, not at all. Not at all, because... I really like how you answered that because it wasn't a knee-jerk thing of like, right, I've got this time, I've got to make it can. It, you know, I, I like no. it when things sort of happen like that. That's It's been a real kind of mixture of of answers to this question when I've asked, um, you know, previous guests. And, and some people said, like, the minute I knew that I wasn't going to be touring, I was going to just throw myself head into writing a record and it just mm. weren't happening. Like, I, I wanted it to because the time was oh, there, but yeah. it just weren't oh, happening. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, the, the fact that yeah, it was a happy accident, that's glorious, man. Well, I do feel really, really lucky because we're, we're, you know, starting to do interviews basically talk about myself now to, to people <laughs> and I do my overall overriding fe- feeling is total I mean I feel a little bit guilty about it if anything because some bands or other artists were forced into getting kind of a more mainstream job or like a more normal job whatever you know that's the easiest way to kind of call it that um and then maybe couldn't afford to keep going but we have just been so lucky that I've been doing it for so long I've got some toys and things like that that I could play with and uh, people around me that were kind of helping me to to, to, to get it done. Um, I think it was more to keep me distracted because we, we had an album come out in the January of 2020 and it was this huge, huge lead into it where, I, I mean, like I was producing it, did the artwork. I mean, it was like I did too much. I took on too much of a workload and I... Uh, basically before it came out had a bit of a wobble about it all as well and kind of wasn't really in a good place um so the the timing of the pandemic was kind of good for me selfishly um i don't i, I always try and find the positive out of every situation this is obviously an extreme one but i think the people around me and my management and stuff like that were thinking right how do we keep this guy creatively ticking over so that he doesn't go back to where he was a few months ago because I just was in the sort of trenches of um, by the way this is all super first world problems <laughs> these aren't, we're, we're, these talk, aren't like, we're talking about you today mate I know I know but these aren't like real life struggles it was just in my little bubble they were because I'd been doing I've been making music and chasing the impossible dream whatever uh, whatever that I don't even know what the end goal is uh, from being in this particular band but I just get so swept up in it and too involved that I just lost track of 
why I was even doing it, I think. So that so the idea of then being locked back in a bedroom with very kind of minimal gear um, and quite a lot of obstacles, like the guy I was working with, Jack Knifley, a producer, he was based in LA. So it was an eight-hour time difference plus a one-year-old to look after at the time. So I was working, I think I started maybe at like eight, nine o'clock at night when she was kind of settled. And then I'd work to like maybe three, four in the morning or something like that. And then I'd get up at seven with the kid again and do it all over again. <laughs> That's some serious plate spinning. I, I, I was actually annoyed. Everyone was learning how to like make bread and like going on, <laughs> you know, doing exercise. And I was like, that looks quite good. Why am I doing this? Or or going through like m- movie catalogs and TV shows that they wanted to watch and reading books. And I was a uh, problem solving an album that I didn't know was an album at the time, but with Jack Knife Lee though, with Jack Knife Lee, I mean that's that's, cool. that's another example of this was all self inflicted, and I'm trying to blame everybody else again. That's my go to move, but yeah, with Jack Knife Lee, yeah, what a producer he is, mate. Man, he's more. Do you know he's become more than a producer to me? He's like uh, a mentor or like a kind of um, a fag a father figure within creative thinking um and ultimately just a good mate because it was if it had been anyone else that i was just kind of scheduled in to go and write with um it would never have happened it was just you know i had this number i could text them on a on a, a level to be like do you fancy this and i think if it'd been anyone else we wouldn't have got as much material written because there wasn't that initial hurdle of like, oh, fuck, talking about the pandemic all the time, we kind of went straight back because I've worked with him before. We've done another full-length album called GLA in 2015 with him, came out in 2016. And then he'd helped us pull together some of this, the last finishing touches on another album, We've Got Great Divide. And they all, the songs we did with him all ended up being the, the only singles off that record. So we knew it was like in a... It was like an instant creative spark we had. So to have someone like that to, as my safety net, yeah, it's so so spoiled. Anyone listening who doesn't know who he is. He works with like U two, REM, The Killers, bands that fill stadiums. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he continues to want to work with us, but I, I, it must just be uh, we've got that sort of friendship uh, level thing happening. And if I'm right, he he was in his own band as well back in the day, wasn't he? It was, it, yeah, it, and compulsion. compulsion, yeah. And and for listeners to this podcast, you get a chance to listen to Mal Monarchy, the single by Compulsion. Fuck me, that's a that's a <laughs> stonker of a record. That is, go give go give that one a whirl. Right, well, look, we're talking records um, today, Sam. And for track one, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. I'm glad I've got my own answers in front of me here by mistake. Uh, I'm usually not this organised. I couldn't, I mean... You can have honourable mentions because when I've asked you a question for your home, uh, your hometown, fuck me, you, you sent me over about 10. So you can have some no. honourable mentions, man. <laughs> well, for, for, for the question you've asked now, I've picked uh, you 2 where the streets have no name. There is another song there, Arctic Monkeys, Brainstorm, but... The U2, I mean, I think every musician or band wishes they started an album like that. Um, it's just so cinematic and engaging. I think it's gone, th- it's gone through a bit of a 
um, roller coaster with opinion, I'm sure, because I bet when it came out, it was like considered arrogant or like a bit um, self indulgent or something like that. But since, but over time, oh, I mean, I'm 33, so I think it came out the year I was. What, what year did it come out? 87. Uh, yes. I, that's my birth year, so I don't really know what I'm talking about in terms of the, how it was react. That's just my take on it, but. It's just, uh, I thought it's just so engaging. It's just so like rousing and emotional, but epic. And the song delivers as well. After, I mean, I've tried to do that, do the big epic cinematic thing, and we've made it so good that then we can't compete with our intro. Yeah, we did it kind of recently. We did it about two years ago, and we just uh, had to delete it. Yeah, um, but I could have given so many more answers for this, but I just I try to be pragmatic and almost uh, practical. It's it's really weird, Sam. You're, I mean, I've done three hundred and sixty of these podcasts, and no one's chose that yet, and I'm really surprised because it, it's I know it, it's an absolute masterpiece. And I'm forty nine, no, I'm forty eight, um, and <laughs> I would have been uh, fourteen, fifteen when Joshua Tree dropped, and <laughs> And I don't remember it being met with that much criticism for it being pompous or overblown or anything like that. I think at the time they'd come, this is two years after Live Aid and they'd, you know, they'd mm. stole the show there and mm. <clears throat> and then they just put together this perfect record, I think. Um, yeah. I think the kind, for me, looking in on it, I think the kind of the pomp and the the, the, the kind of people sort of starting to dig out maybe Bono more than the band a bit more kind of come a few years later, I think with the, you know, with with some of the latter albums. But for me, I think that was the last record that, that that you two done where the live shows weren't about lights and, you know, kind of him phoning up Salman Rushdie and, and doing all of these crazy things and landing in like big lemons and stuff like that on stage. It was, it was Bono white vest, pair of jeans, walking yep. out there. He didn't need anything else because his voice was one of the most incredible things ever. And that intro, mm-hmm. the build-up is beautiful. And obviously, you just get the best introduction to Edgy's guitar you could ever want to hear. Mm-hmm. But it's when that opening line of Bono's voice, it's just perfect, isn't it? And it just gathers it speed. Works. Well, it makes it makes sense uh, now... No, well, they they earned the right to do it. Obviously, then with that performance at, at Live Aid, so that makes sense why they they got away with it. Um, but yeah, it's the to- there's something about the tone of his voice. It's just uh, so satisfying when it cuts through. I, I agree. It's probably his. It's probably is that moment that makes the intro. So with that, and you know, over the last sort of you know eight months, making another record and. And with intros, I've spent 360 podcasts trying to frame this question correctly, and I'll never quite manage it. Um, but Streets Have No Names are a really good example of something that's really long, mm-hmm. and 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 obviously you get the payoff when it when it drops. But the way that music's consumed now, and the way that algorithms you know and all of that stuff that doesn't seem very 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Organic and real. All of these things that unfortunately are filtered into the recording industry. Mm. Would I mean I, I don't know if a band went into a, a record company and said, "Oh, this is our this is our single." It's called right. "The Streets Have No Name." By the mm. way, you won't get a vocal for over a minute. Like <laughs> I wonder if that would happen now. And so, um. I don't think that's a good thing, by the way. I want to throw that no, out there. Like, uh, a song should be a song. I can give you some hope. It, it wasn't a single of ours, but the album I was mentioning of ours that came out in January 2020 was called Power, and the first song was called Oh Euphoria. And on the vinyl, which is kind of, that's like the full-length album, because yeah. we, had to, we had to cut it down for other things. The vinyl, I think the intro is like two and a half minutes or something like that of just a drum groove just a groove for yeah. honestly two, I, I need to look it up I'm sure it's like over two minutes um, I mean I'm, I'm kind of answering your question for you because it wasn't yeah. a single <laughs> but but do you, do you are these kind of things considerations for you when you write songs now you know the, the fact that algorithms and like how you know you've got three seconds Snapchat and all of that stuff that, that you know the people mm-hmm. that you know, because TikTok and the way that people are sort of consuming, young people are consuming music now. It does seem very fast-paced, and attention spans are, are, appear to be yeah. getting tighter. And I just wondered if that ever filters through into your creative process when you sort of, you know, right, this is going to be a single. Mm-hmm. Do I want to get the chorus in? Do I want to start with the chorus? Do it? How do you know? Do any of that sort of things find their way into your your creative brain? Yes, but not because of what's going on. Uh, tech-wise or anything that's... I've always kind of thought that way um, because the space that we sort of have occupied... Because we're a bit of an oddball band. Like, we're not really a radio pop band. We're not really a rock band. We're not an alternative band or an indie band. We're not... We're we're actually... We're not not even sure what type of band we are. But because of that, I've always just focused on, like making sure the songs have got quality as the, as the sort of main sort of, I don't know, stitch between all the records and the songs. And I've kind of tried to like study as best I can on, on my own, at least like the greats and what they do well. Um, and I've always been really conscious of like, I, I think because I felt like an underdog the whole time we've been doing this, especially in the very beginning, because I was just so desperate to do what we're doing now and to travel and be away from Glasgow and um, just be in music, I was like, you need to grab people's attention instantly. So I kind of always thought that way. Um, and I've even looked at, like, I've even, I've, I've always kind of, now I'm sort of in chart, I'm at the helm of the computer and recording a lot of, of uh, stuff. But I, even back in the day, I was like, when does that chorus hit? What is that? Because I'd, I mean, I'd heard that if, I, if you can get a chorus to hit uh, between 50 seconds and a minute, I think it's like 90% of all number one songs or something like that yeah. do that. Yeah. So I was like, well, why would I not fucking do that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> why would I not want to hit that sweet spot knowing that that is, is there? But don't get me wrong, we've also got like six and a half minute prog rock songs in there yeah. and like five minute long... Um, ambient instrumental songs and things like that in our back catalogue probably because I've overanalyzed pop structure 
um, a way that we got around recently, like our, our, the first single we've got off our new album, um, in the intro, it's just a kind of like, it's a guitar and drum groove. Um, and it, it basically is just going round and round, but I got my mum to like talk over it because that was the way of keep catching people's attention and yeah. keeping them in the song. Um, but yeah, people say that to people, people do go on about it and say, oh, that won't do well at streaming because it's too whatever in the first 30 seconds. Which you, you can't be governed by that, can you? It's like I promise you that I'm not. I I do take it in and I'm listening, but I don't think I'm too uh, I'm too into the emotional uh, development of a song to yeah. give up that uh, part of it because, like I was saying in the beginning, that's why I do what I try to do. Um, yeah, uh, it's quite. A de- if you allow yourself to really focus on it, it's quite depressing that that's hundred percent. Way- Hundred percent. Well, you oh, mentioned emotion. So for yep. track two, Sam, I'm going to ask you to uh, tell me, please, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional uh, impact on you, please. Yes, sir. Um, Bruce Springsteen's "Thunder Road." Okay. I'm probably like so I only used to see my dad uh, at the weekends, like on a Sunday, and we would used to, we would go like really long drives into. The Scottish, like the sort of beginning of the Scottish Highlands, um, sort of like Loch Lomond area, and a wee bit further north than that, you get into uh, Glencoe, which, if, if you're not familiar with it, is like basically a road right up the middle of all these epic mountains, and um, they're quite ugly and like really like rock, like rock based. There's not many plants in like that. It's like a bit of a barren. Uh, wasteland to drive through but my dad would always this was like mixtape era because um, I was pro- I mean I'm sure my earliest memory of this is probably somewhere around like 7 or 8 or something like that um, and there would be loads of songs I'm trying to think what the other songs would be it was in that sort of ballpark of Bruce Springsteen and the American sort of song book writers yeah. like Neil Young or but then we'd also listen to like full Whitney Houston records and things like that. Yeah. Um, but this song always stood out. Maybe it's where it was on the mixtape or something like that that he had. I'm not sure why. Or maybe it was the surroundings. And I've I've gone to like study Springsteen pretty in depth. But he was always going on about escapism and cinematic writing. Um, and it just maybe matched what we were doing on these long drives. And it just, I remember that's the first sort of moment in a song where I was like taking something away from it more than like, oh, this is fun or this is, that sounds cool or that that's funny or like exciting or something. It was like, a, it made me feel hopeful or sad. Even as a kid, I remember having that sort of um, getting it. I don't know. I mean, that's quite a kind of grown up song to, to get at that age. But I was just probably just quite lucky with the surroundings. What, um, do you, what do you think the emotion was, Sam? If you had to pinpoint it, um, well, I'm not sure if that. I mean, it's probably it's that. I mean, the sweet spot between happiness and and sadness is probably like 
I don't know, it's like a mixture of hope and nostalgia, like what, being excited about the future, but also kind of sad about the, the past or the present. Um, I'm not sure what that emotion is, but that song, it's the, I mean, it's the chord progression of the song and the, the, me- the, me- the vocal melody, when you mix them together, it just sounds like desperation, but like getting out of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like climbing out or, or um, I'm not sure if I'm skewed now with like my adult brain and my songwriting uh, experience reviewing this now. But I do, But that was, I, I mean, I've got the lyrics tattooed on my wrist, so I do mean what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just remember that song just almost like, I don't know, it was when like it was like when my soul was ignited or something like that with music and then uh, then music meaning something else to me. That's where the addiction began, was hearing that song. <laughs> I'm not really answered you have I don't know what the emotion is. I I think you nailed that when you said like the sweet spot between happiness and sort of sadness. I think that's yeah. a that's a really nice way to kind of try and fathom where your mind was at at such a young age and hearing something yeah. that, that's Liked it and, and like you say, set your soul on fire. It's like I think you know, at such a, a young age, generally songs just kind of wash over you, don't they? And I think every now and again, if something does spike like that, then it really does spike. Well, I mean, the song before it was maybe like I don't know, Whitney Houston, and I want to dance with somebody, yeah. and then the song after it was maybe like Deacon Blue or something like that. Nothing wrong with either. I mean, they're probably in my top 50, top yeah. 100 favourite songs or something, but there was something about this song that just, uh, it was just different. It just sounded more, um, I don't know. I still don't know. Maybe yeah. that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good that's thing. That's the magic. I'm, that's the magic, yeah. right? <laughs> Staying in the formative years for track three, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Yeah, well, it was an easy one to pick, Blink-182, because I think 
from like second year right through to what you you know when I was at college and uni, all I listened to was Blink One Eight Two. That was literally all I listened to, uh, probably in quite an obsessive, creepy way. But the song is Anthem Part Two. It's the opening track from an album of theirs, "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket," and I was in I was in second year at high school, and I'd kind of just started getting into like guitar music. Um, I've got an older sister, Alana. She's two years older than me, and she was already there. She was listening to like kind of more like skater punk, kind of somewhere between ska and like pop punk yeah. music. She was into. Um, which I didn't think I, I wasn't that into, but I like that. That kind of triggered me listening to like guitar bands, and then I met a mate at school. Um, what you used to go into HMV and get CD singles and take the sticker off the CD singles and put them on the albums, take them up to the cash desk, and only have to pay like two quid or three quid Wait. instead of like twenty one, whatever. That record was probably like twenty two quid back in the day. Um, so I got a loan of this album from him for, for like two weeks and the opening track in that is like really direct, like a syncopated um, guitar, drum sort of interplay riffing. And I remember just being like, oh my fucking God, what is that? Yeah. Like people, I've heard people talk about hearing Nirvana for the first time and they had that moment with rock music. This That song was my like, <laughs> slow motion brain exploding yeah. in a mushroom cloud thing where I was like holy fuck <laughs> uh, am, am I right in saying that fast forward X amount of years did you play with a, a support blink yeah we did mate it was it, it still doesn't feel real to me um, and even when I replay the memories from it I'm like that just is so surreal and bizarre yeah. we, we actually toured with them twice they had us on two separate UK tours um, they did a comeback sort of tour after they split up the first time for a few years and that was like really really hyped up for obvious reasons because they're, they're, they've got such a cult following that like because we were a support band we instantly everyone that liked their band liked our band just as a like matter of it used to be like oh who's the Blink support band and then you would go and listen to them for like the three months leading up to the tour um, so that was a huge, huge leg up for us. But then I'm cutting about backstage with them and they're talking to me and going into like Travis Barker's dressing room. I just couldn't keep my cool. I just couldn't. I was just so, so freaked out and nervous and in awe of them that I just wasn't being myself. They were being totally normal and being like, oh, what are you guys up to? And, oh, you're working with this producer or we've met him and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, hey, hey. Thanks for having us on the tour. Like, just couldn't be myself around them. Um, why do you? <clears throat> why do you think that was? Like, you've earned your stripes. You know, you've, you know, you, your band's done what you've done. You, you, you're there, rightly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you? Do you ever suffer with like imposter syndrome? <laughs> uh, yeah, all the time. I do. I, I mean, like, even just now doing this podcast with you, in the back, there's a, the voice in the back of my head is like, no one cares, mate. Why are you talking about yourself? Nobody cares. <laughs> um, I'm being truthful there. There's been a couple of moments where I was like, right, that is a long answer, Sam. Fucking hell, no one is that into what you're saying. 
Um, I think, I don't know, it's maybe just like my, I'm not like a really good musician or anything like that. I'm like, I'm not, uh, but that's what it's not really why I write songs. I'm not, I don't really care about getting good at guitar or getting really good at singing. Um, so sometimes I get that imposter, imposter syndrome feeling because I'm like, at any second I could be found out that I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but the proof's in the records, man. It doesn't matter know, how you know, get there know, or, you know. I know, it's hard to argue with that, I know, because I sound like I'm being overly humble or something to seem like a nice guy, but I genuinely do feel like I'm con every day, I'm like, how am I going to prove prove it to people that I'm yeah. really good um, at pulling it all together, I mean, and making making a song, but I think I know why I was like that with that with Blink in particular because we've toured with loads of other like mega rock stars and I've been in the same you know I've met Dave Grohl and chatted away to him about stuff and I wasn't as overawed as I was with them but I feel like the age so when when I I started high school in 99 2000 and second year 2000 2001 was like the explosion of like Californian culture on sort of the UK and Europe um, and the pop punk thing just was like spoon fed to me by radio but then all the other culture that going on around me at the time was like American Pie movies were coming out Jackass was on TV like reruns all night every night um, like Tony Hawk skateboarder for the Playstation skateboarder <laughs> skateboarding was like um the biggest game do you know what I mean that was like my generation's Grand Theft Auto or whatever yeah. and um, so to be in the presence of these guys that were like the talisman for that whole cultural movement it was it was more of like a it was bigger than because the music wasn't super groundbreaking it was like power chords and like some of the songs were like just about dick jokes and like being at high school and um, it was just a timing thing, but these guys were like the epicenter of that to me. So I felt like I was in the presence of something really important. I think, yeah, some of their songs were, you know, about dick jokes and were, you know, straight up punk chords. Nirvana have got these songs that are just straight up punk chords. It's not Radiohead by any means, but Blink and Nirvana their pop sensibilities are off the fucking scale. They know how to make people react and respond and pull them in. Never mind the greatest pop record ever made, in my opinion. Like, every song on that record is so catchy. It's full of hooks, full of, like, amazing choruses. And Blink literally followed that blueprint. And I think Blink done yep. exactly the same, just catchy as fuck pop songs, but with just, like, noisy guitars. And it's like, that's what a lot of teenagers need. Well, I'll, I'll probably get stuck for for this, but I'm, it's just it's just what I think. Um, but the self titled Blink record, the one that's the smiley face on the mm. front with the paint dripping down, that to me is as good an album as Nevermind. And I know it's probably not as important. No, I know it's not as important culturally, and it didn't have um, rightly so the same impact on on music. Um, I'm maybe a bigger Nirvana fan now, by the way, than a Blink fan because I, yeah. I then worked my way back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to me, it's like as perfectly crafted 
it's the sweet spot between just out and out pop perfection meeting like artistic freedom of of speech and license and like some of the stuff they did on that record like I'm not like a super um I mean if anything I'm like anti-war anti-army person but there's a speech written and read out on that blink record by like um a widower whose husband went off to fight in Afghanistan and she's reading out a letter to him if he'd still you know I mean there's things on it that are that are really like creatively um inspiring risk-taking things that Nirvana were doing obviously on Nevermind but three-piece power pop rock records to me they're like on a par yeah okay track four first song you remember buying from a record <laughs> shop yeah um well with my own money that was my decision because really the true answer to this is my dad took me and my sister into a record store and went you can get any cd you want um, and this, we never and we never did that again after it was some he must have had a rush of blood to his head or something and I picked uh, Jimmy Nail's uh, first album nice I, <laughs> I know that's not my answer here but that wasn't my that was a panic thing yeah that I just it all it was so, I mean I don't know what I was doing but the first thing I went in I remember going into town I'm going to get this seed well I got it on tape was Craig David's Rewind. It's featuring someone, or he, it's featuring Craig David, it's by someone else, I can't remember the, it's like a garage, a UK garage DJ. Artful Dodger. Artful Dodger, thank yeah. you. Um, so it's Artful Do- Dodger featuring Craig David, right? Mm. That's, I mean, I don't know, I think, I, I, I think, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if I was trying to impress a girl or something like that, that I knew all the words or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I remember buying it and me and a mate went back to like a girl's house where there was other girls from our year at school and I just was like so terrified of girls. They were just like so powerful and like much smarter than me and like <laughs> in control of the situation at all times compared to my like nervous a uh, little like probably horny little brain at the time do you yeah. know what I mean and uh, I was like yeah I got, we went into town went to HMV and we bought these and like I bought this and like remember putting the tape in and playing it and I was all like there's probably like six or seven us all sitting around in this girl's room like listening to <laughs> listening to it ah fucking hell it's great though, right? I mean, their memories. I mean, you, you can vividly remember that, which is, I mean, um, that's what music's about, right? I remember taking the tape out of the, because <clears throat> it, it was in like a sort of cardboard sleeve. The sleeve was like black and green. And I remember being like, oh shit, they were saying, what did you buy? And like, now it's my time to put this on. We just listened to what the record, the CDs or whatever they'd, singles they'd bought that day. And like sat around in a group listening to them. And I remember being nervous, like, oh fuck, why did I buy this? I don't even know if I like this. I should have brought. I should have bought like what's my age again? Blink one eight two or something like that. What did I do this for? <laughs> I think I was just trying to be like cool at the time because that was like um that was before it was like a big. I think it was like the day it came out, so it wouldn't have been number one yet or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean it's a big record, wasn't it? And like you know, yeah. Craig David was a. I mean that was a song I guess that launched him really, and he became a 
megastar, didn't he? And megastar did, yeah. And has, has had a huge resurgence in in, in recent times as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the first the first record. This is the question where it's perfectly fine to have something that ain't that cool. That's what <laughs> that this question was designed for. That <clears throat> I think it's it's probably cooler to have shit answers hundred percent you know or Craig David rewind it's not even a it is a, it is a good it is a good record but it's a I mean it's got like comedy fucking spring sound effects in it yeah. and stuff like that it's it? got glass smashing as well aye stuff like that yeah um, <laughs> it's like the Ross from Friends song when he has the <laughs> um, big explosion at the end yeah but like that was when like UK Garage was like absolute peak. Five of the songs in the top ten were all by different. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I just kind of I do get I do get swept up in like popular culture in general. Um, so I'm not surprised that I did that. Now I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but that's what I got at the time. For track five, I'm going to ask you please to tell me the song that soundtracked your years clubbing, please. Um, well, I don't know how big of a clubbing person I was, but... This can also be, Sam, this can also be going to your local indie night or yeah, anything yeah. like that. It hasn't necessarily got to well, be... I, I did, but, I, but but my next part of that was I did go to loads and loads of club nights because that's just what you do in Glasgow. There's a culture here to... I know that's not unique, but it's just particularly set up that way in Glasgow. Um, because there's like a history of like, I guess like almost like snobbery of club music here, and like the club night experience is taken really seriously here. Um, but yeah, anyway, the song is by Felix the Housecat. It's called "Ready to Wear." Um, do you know that? Do you know that song? Mm. I, I, I do you know. Do you know something? Is something? There's like a thread through all the stuff that I'm saying here, but it's it's got that sort of sweet spot between happiness and sadness nostalgia hopefulness it just had the same effect on me as like the Springsteen song or the U2 intro it's um I still listen to I probably listen to that like a handful of times every month just to like retune harmonically what is going on in that song I want to do that I still haven't figured it out um but that's the song that like we would all take really, really serious. Like it was more like when you would go back to somebody's house or flat after a night out. That's what we would play. So, it's. I feel like I've got more memories of listening to that, at an after party thing than I do. Sure, it's a bit of a come down song. Just like the atmosphere of it. Um. Oh man, it's perfect. I hope people listen to it. Or have who, people who have heard it are being reminded of it. It's quite an old song now. Um, you, you, you touched on, um, you know, when, when you were talking about the, buying the Craig David single, about you know being sort of terrified of of girls at that age, and <clears throat> and I, I want to ask you a, a, a two questions here, Sam, and I want to know. You know, in these formative years, was you confident uh, 
Well, I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll I'll follow it up. And has your and if you wasn't, where you know, is that something you could learn to be more confident? I think so. Um, I think I I think I was doing the sort of um, like growing up before like adolescence or whatever. Even at school, I was always performing. But not in a way that you would think, oh, that guy's going to get into like acting or music or something like that. I was more just like a class clown sort of, thing. like a Robin Williams character that like I can't help but turn something into a joke or be a show off or like. You like the attention? I think so. I probably an attention seeker rather than like um, meriting the attention <laughs> by doing something good uh, or talented or whatever, but. I think then when I went to high school, I went to like a different, I went to a different school than all my friends before. Um, and I think I just had to like be confident. Do you know what I mean? Just had to like, um, I'm not really answering your question. I think, yeah, you can, you can learn how to be more confident, but it's, um, it's probably something that's always been there. I don't know. Really good question. That might be the that might be the that might be the best question I've ever been asked <laughs> in an interview. I think. Um, can you see my mind like deep? <laughs> I can hear it, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like going. I'm, I think my whole life's flashing in front of my. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm like. See when I walk on stage now. That's what I was going to say. You you walk on stage in front of thousands of people. Like that's not that's not something anyone can do. Do you know what I mean? There's a confidence to that. I know, I know, but you should see the state of me before. You should see what it takes to get to that point. It's like a really long build up all day. I have no idea where it comes from, mate. I have no idea. Because I'm terrified walking on stage. And I'm terrified. I'm not now, but I, I was terrified to like approach my wife and like say, like, I like you, or like, can I get your number? Or I just couldn't, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know if I've all, I've, do you know what? Maybe I've just spent so many years hiding behind metaphors and artwork because I went to art school as well and between the two phases we're talking about me now and me as a a kid I went to art school as well and I've always just kind of buried my head into like not my head I've buried probably my my real self behind made up versions of me do you know what I mean sure absolutely songs and paintings and lyrics um, stuff that I like to take the attention off of me, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, but I do think you can learn to be more confident. I do, but the only way I think you do it is by every single day constantly being out of your comfort zone to the point where you just don't have a comfort zone anymore. I think you need to. You need to that, that that's my experience anyway. Confidence aside, then choosing. Um, Initially, I guess, looking at art, you know, to to make money in the world. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All of art isn't easy. To make a career in music is not easy. You know, to have achieved the level of success that you've achieved in music is really fucking not easy. So confidence aside... How driven are you? <laughs> um, I feel rude not saying like thank you for saying everything you just said there. Firstly, before I like keep talking about myself, um, I'm driven to the point of like fucking driving people away from me. Probably it's 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 um it's too much, mate. It is too much, but I, I, but um. I've learned how to park it and let it build and let it build and let it build and let it build. Sometimes for three months at a time, I'm not, it seems like I'm not maybe doing something, but I'm like deep in thought about how to take something to the next level or how do I beat my best, you know, live show or gig or, how do I get better at interviews or how do I get, do you know what I mean? How do I like let my guard down and how do I like, I'll, I'll be, th- I'll think about something like that for like three, four months at a time so that I can make an album in five weeks at home with minimal gear. If you know what I mean? Like the, the drive is, uh, it's unhealthy at times, but, um, it's that that's partly why I love being in a band because I'm the guy who's like laser focused, so so driven. Um but then having guys to like fall back on who are more laid back or someone who's more got like their life and or their moral compass is stronger than mine. So like having people like that around me to bounce off of. Um Ultimately every band needs one of you in it though. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, I think so. But I've I've seen a lot of bands. Um, you can 
be too driven. I'm, I'm saying I'm so, so driven, but I'm really focused with it, if you know what I mean. I'm really, I, I would say that I'm like a pretty solid like people person. I like can read people well, so I know when to like shut up about pestering people for a support slot or something or how to, how to make it not all about me, but somehow in the end, it was all about me. <laughs> I'm like I'm like a twisted manipulator. I think, um, I the, my, my drive, but I think I think it's sparked from like my my upbringing was like um, really really good and amazing and dead dead happy. But as you get older, you realise like mm, I don't know that was probably quite tough, and I was just a wee guy, so I didn't know. And I think. Uh, the things I've seen around me growing up, I've just been like, I, I never want to be back in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably driven, like I don't think I was just born with drive. I think it was some of the stuff I've seen along the way or some of the situations my family have been in have probably made me like, um, it wasn't even like I lit a fire under me, the fire was lit by others and I'm like trying to climb up away from it type of yeah. thing. Um, and then I don't know now that has now that is just in built within me so anything that I try and take on I'm a like our bass player Ross sometimes says to me like dude it's too your weight it's relax do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah but if you're in a band where everyone just relaxes then you know it, it, I know I in a much smaller scale, I was you in my band. And, you know, you need, you know, when I look back at it now, 20 years later, we wouldn't have got the deal. We wouldn't have done this. We wouldn't have done that had it not been, and I don't mean this taking anything away from the rest of the band, me being that guy that's going, no, no, no we need to do this. We've got to do that. That will help us do that. And yeah. I think every band needs that. I really do. And And I think I would sometimes look at the other guys in the band and just think, oh man, I wish I was a bit more like you. I wish I could just kind of put mm -hmm. my feet up in the, in the van mm -hmm. and just think, oh, let's just enjoy the ride. But I was always thinking of the next thing of how we could then take it to there and what we could do with that. And I think that can become all encompassing. Like, and, mm -hmm. and, it, and it can sometimes, I think when you take a minute and look at it, just go, oh man, like, but I think if you've got that inherent drive and that desire to, do the best possible version of what you're doing, then, mm -hmm. then I think that's that, that's who you are, and that's what you should do. Yeah, mate. It's just a, it's just good old Glaswegian working class roots. Yeah. Just my grandparents, my mum and dad. I've just seen them hustle. Do you know what I mean? And just work so hard that then, given given an opportunity to do, to be on the stage with like my heroes that had posters up on the wall and stuff like that I'm like right I'm grabbing this with two hands damn right and running as fast as I can with it damn yeah. right so yeah mate let's go back to them roots you just mentioned track six favourite song from an artist from your home county please um oh you it says home county you can so go I, you, you can go country 350 of my 360 it. guests have all said country don't worry I need, oh, to, really? I need to rearrange how I write that in, in the email. My home county, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a rare breed where I actually am from Glasgow, like from the city of Glasgow, like born in the city, lived in the city, still live in the city just about. <laughs> I still got a G at the front of my postcode. 
Um, I'm happy for you to go with country because there's some songs on your list that I'd, I'd like to talk about. Well, I just kind of was rhyming these off without really mm. thinking about it too much. Like Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street. I put Travis, Why Does It Always Rain On Me? But I mean, there's like five or six Travis songs that could yeah. be on that list. To be cheeky, I put ACDC, Back in Black. You can have that. You can have that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Scotland's like, no, we've got we've got a world famous rock band. <laughs> um, um, Annie Lennox, Walking on Broken Glass. Annie Lennox, Why? Deacon Blue, Dignity. Right, so, I mean, so many I want to pull apart here, right? So Annie Lennox, first of all, have you ever heard the original of No More I Love Yous? Oh, uh, no, what, not her version of it, you mean? That's a fucking cover, man. Is it? Yeah, and I didn't know this until maybe four or five weeks ago, and it's from this kind of mid-'80s kind of sort of synth band really? um, that ended up touring with the Eurythmics and, and were kind of working with um, Dave Stewart as well. Um right. What are they called? Well, oh, I'll look it up after this. I'll find what it. they're called. But it's fucking amazing. It's this huge, epic kind of synth record that sounds mm-hmm. like sounds like sort of like a big aha sort of slowy. Like a, it's it's huge, and yeah, I mean it's an incredible record, you know. And, and the Annie Lance version is amazing, but. Yeah, go check out the original. It was like when I said oh. Annie Lance, it literally I just was. I see your email, and I was like. Man, like, I wonder if you heard the original of that because it's literally been my earworm for the last few weeks. And um, Digna, uh, oh, Deacon Blue, well, I, I kind of... I got sent something the other day and I've got this thing with... I, I work with a, a musician called Scroobius Pip. He's, uh, oh, yeah. he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's the guy that got me into doing this. Really? And, uh, and we have this thing where we, we sort of message each other. If... Uh, if we see a little, I like, if I'm feeling a little bit hungover or a bit jaded, I quite mm-hmm. like to have a little YouTube watch of songs that are going to kind of get me a bit emotional. And I like to kind of sort of work for it like that, I think. I think I've replaced <laughs> listening to kind of somber music now. I'll yeah. just go on there because when I hear crads, it gives me just a feeling that I've never, that, that I just, it blows my mind. When you hear crads singing lyrics, it mm-hmm. fucking destroys me. Um, and so we, we send each other, like, oh, man, have you heard this? <clears throat> and he sent me um, – well, I sent him Proclaimers, Sunshine and Leaf oh, uh, yeah. at Tea in the Park. That'll fucking do it, mate. Yeah, um, yeah. But he then topped me by sending back Dignity at Tea in the Park a few years ago mm. by Deacon Blue. Oh, man. Ricky don't even sing. He just lets them sing it. Yeah. Oh fucking hell, man! I, I don't know something about that song, isn't there? It's just like I've got so many memories attached to that song from my whole life, basically. And it's always the point in a night where everyone's just steaming enough where they're still happy. It can be the song that sort of triggers the point. Oh no, she's crying. What's that? Do you know what I mean? Sort of. Yeah. Why, why is he shouting at him? What's going on? Blah blah. blah. Because it's the it's usually a moment in a night in Scotland where like young through to old or like no matter I mean like you could have had on like top 10 chart music or something like that and then this song com- comes on and it just pulls everyone together uh, it's, it's I, maybe I'm thinking it's just a cultural thing in Scotland maybe it happens with this song well 
I can give you an example, right? So I, I'm, a, I'm a club promoter. That's, that's kind of what I do as well. Um, okay. and, uh, and I had a club night uh, in, in, in London, and maybe six years ago, Edith Bowman came to DJ for me. Uh, and Edith was playing like kind of lots of big sort of indie bangers and stuff like that. And there's like sort of six, 700 people jumping around to all the kind of big hits. And then she dropped Dignity, and I was thinking, that's a fucking brave move. Like, you're in the middle of Shoreditch, yeah. Like, I know this song. I'm 48. Complete sense, obviously. that That's like a normal move up here. Within a minute, the place was on fire to it. And it's <laughs> like, ah, oh, it works down south as well. Like, <laughs> nice. It's such a huge song. I, I mean, I'm, I'm apart from... Uh, Apart from Back in Black on that list, which was obviously slightly tongue-in-cheek, all, this, all the songs on this list, when I look from bottom to top, not just this this question, they've got that sort of like happy-sad thing going on. Um, melancholy. But like joyful melancholy. Um, even like Travis, Why Does It Always Rain On Me is just so... It's like a... Like, fellow Glaswegian of them it's like that just sums up like any other see if that was like a, a, a soul song or something like that or a metal song with that t- there's something about that title being from a Scottish band is just so relatable to me when you listen to it it's uh, I don't know as, as, a, as a Glaswegian is it inspiring seeing you know bands like Travis you know, go on to, to, to do what they've done as, as a young lad, sort of seeing these bands become, su- you know, global superstars, you know, do, would you draw from that? Oh, absolutely, yeah, massively. Um, I mean, there's so many Scottish artists, that's why, because I was thinking like, oh, I'll just say like, Proclaimers 500 Miles, because I'm not Scottish unless I say it, unless that's my answer. Sure. And I was like, ah, man, for such a small country with such a limited route to access to even recording studios never mind the music industry like uh, we get so many like massively impactful artists and songs Um, maybe that's why I've always thought maybe that's I don't know maybe that's why I take like songwriting really seriously and like the craft of it is dead important to me because I've got like I could I very easily could have just like uh, just turn out another one of those types of songs and we'll do well and blah, blah blah. But I'm like, nah, I need to evolve and I need to like show growth in songwriting. Um, I don't know. I feel like Scottish people, Scottish songwriters, are taking like serious. I don't know. Maybe they're not. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, like I I sat just to do this podcast to initially i was going to do it on certain locations each series on a certain location to to, to understand why there seems to be this desire that if you want to make it in in music you know you've got to move to london and this was this was bred purely out of the fact that i live just outside of london in essex um Mm. and i would i would chat to uh, the aforementioned scroobius pip at the time was was having a very successful time in music Mm -hmm. and all he would get asked is like oh like do, do you live in london like and he's like, no, I live in Essex. Are you going to move to London? He's like, nah. Like, I, I like where I live. And 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 
I asked that. So I had Fran and Dougie from Travis on, and and I think about other incredible Scottish bands. I spoke to Roddy from Idlewild, who are an incredible band, mm. um, and 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 just about their their love of where they come from and that lack of no, no, we, we're doing it on our terms where we're at, and you know, you you come to us. Like, you know, there's a rich heritage of music from Glasgow. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I find it, and I think that's what creates scenes and and that's what creates kind of movements in music is that, you know, so many times, you know, Manchester gets mentioned on this podcast, you know, that, that kind of 89, 91, Rosie's, Mondays in spirals, that kind of movement. That's, that's you know, that's a city's done that. and And I think... Glasgow's got a wealth of of incredible talent, and I think if that's there in the very fabric of it, to go for sort of full circle, you know, is, it, that must be something that you can draw from and go, well, look, you know, we might not have the best studios and, you know, everything at, at our disposal like maybe they have in London, but seeing everything that's come before me means this is totally fucking doable, right? Well, yeah, massively, massively. I, th- I think there's um, there's just something about the fabric of this place that when you leave it behind, like, you really miss it um, to the point of distraction because there's nowhere else really like home, obviously, for everyone out there. But... Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Glasgow. It's probably. I mean, like it rains all the time. It is quite a miserable place, but with like the happiest people you meet, and that is obviously a thread through all these songs that I've picked yeah. here. <laughs> um, it's quite a dangerous place, but then it's also probably the one of the first places that someone would step out to like protect you or something. Do you know what sure. I mean? It's quite a kind of. Um, I mean, it's quite an it's quite an extreme flip flop between the two, uh, but that I, I don't know whether that breeds creativity or I'm not I'm not sure what it is. I'm but, sure it would definitely breed confidence and certainly drive. Well, I think now that I'm thinking a bit clearer, I think what made me that sort of confident uh, in front of people was like working in bars in Glasgow. When I was at art school, I worked in a couple of different bars one called Block and one called Nice and Sleazy's. Nice and Sleazy's is quite a kind of like cultural hotspot here. It's like quite a famous music venue as well. And uh, it was a sink or swim situation because of the customers that were coming in. And like Block had like a punk venue just set up on the floor, but it was like quite revered amongst like that sort of community. Mm-hmm. Nice and Sleazy's was like the extreme snobby indie art school music scene. And if you didn't just immediately like take to, do you know what I mean? How you would talk to people and how, the way you dress, or how you conduct yourself or like uh, in, in Glasgow, if somebody was giving you a hard time, if you can't just like own it and deal with it, you could, couldn't really work in those places. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think that was what maybe helped me with um, hecklers and shit like that live or the crowd not being on my side or whatever it is to, to have that confidence to kind of win them over. I got schooled, like working in the bars here. Um, 
Okay, for your final track, you get to play Tastemaker, Sam, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah, well, this is a... I, th- I think I must have just been on one with this playlist that I've put together. I must have been feeling sad or something, like, um, where I got to the end of all these songs and this was one that sort of jumped out at me. It's a band from the States called Make Do and Mend. The song's called St Anne. And... I mean, I don't know. There's just something about it. Every time I hear it, I need to like, right, everyone, shut up. I need to turn this up. I need to like really listen to the to this. It kind of comes round. Like I'll maybe only listen to it once or twice a year, or maybe even once every couple of years. But when I hear it, it's just like it does a certain thing to me. And I think when other people will hear it for the first time, the same it will have the same effect. It's just so desperately sad, but like, um, it's like a hard-hitting rock song, but it's it's in the sort of ballad territory, I, I would say. But the guy's vocal, I think, I think they're from Boston. I think, I can't remember. I'm, I'm, they're def- I'm not even sure they're East Coast now that I'm saying that. But the Twin Atlantic, we played in uh, 2012. We did the Warp Tour in the states. And we don't really fit into that scene. Do you know what I mean? We, yeah. We've got one foot in that world because we've got melodic um, kind of power pop stuff happening, big rock moments. But we don't really fit into that scene. And um, all the other bands on the tour, to me, bar maybe four or five, I was like, this is fucking awful. I hate this. And I hate how they're treating their fans. And I hate how it's all about like merch and like how many piercings and tattoos and shit you've got and I, I've got tattoos and that I'm not slagging it but it was more like the image of the whole thing and this band because your time slot changes every day on Warped Tour you could be playing at 11 in the morning and then 4 in the afternoon and blah, 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 whatever you are and I just like heard this song live and I was like what the f- that is that is a piece of me that is like completely different to everything else on this tour and then I ended up like I just had just revisit it to get that feeling again. Um, the guy's got like a really rough, gravelly voice singing this really like sweet, emotional song. I don't know. It's just a really good example of sad but happy, hopeful nostalgia. <laughs> well, Sam, we put uh, together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast, so people can go and listen to they like, listen to that track and all the other tracks that we've we've, we've spoken about today. What crazy crazy playlist this is going to be. Um, uh, yeah if somebody's just getting stuck into the rock stuff and then all of a sudden rewind's gonna drop as well with some smashed glass and explosions brilliant um but just to sort of start to wrap things up as 2021 is you know he's 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 starting to kind of come to a come to a close uh and, and a more connected and happier close it will be uh than than 2020 what are you looking forward to from the rest of this year um personally and what's going to be happening professionally um well personally i've just the the room that i'm in i've just i've just finished i converted my garage into a studio so i'm going to be just uh living in here basically till christmas yeah. uh working away so I've started out like, and wow, personally, I was about that was going to be professional. There's a crossover, isn't there? Just there be, always just, is. There always is. See, because of the pandemic, it's the longest I've ever spent in Glasgow 
as an like in my adult life, basically since I was like eighteen, because we started touring when I was like nineteen, and there were some years we did like over two hundred gigs a year and stuff like that. I was just never here, um, so I've kind of like fallen back in love with all the things like going to the football, like stuff I just didn't really get a chance to do, um, make like properly having like knowing what the rest of my family are doing. Yeah. with their week so I can like be more a part of all that and then uh, professionally I mean yeah being in here to, I mean we've got an album coming out in January here's the big plug will I go into professional plugging mode do it or, do it our new album Transparency is coming out on the 7th of January you can pre-order it now if <laughs> <laughs> you get the voice I will work right Yes, mate. So obviously, I'll be talking about that loads in the next few months and doing videos and yeah. Excellent, Sam. It's been an absolute joy talking records with you, man. It's been delightful. Like, thank you, thank you for the best question I've ever been asked that caused me to nearly unravel <laughs> in front of your very eyes and ears. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Thanks, man. Nice one, mate. There you go. Ah, oh, what a delight Sam was. Uh, we had a nice little natter afterwards as well, telling me about what he was going to do for the rest of the day. Go get some fish and chips by the seaside. What a glorious way to spend your day. Um, yeah, absolute top gen. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, I hope you've got as much pleasure listening uh, as I did having that that natter. Um, why not go check out some other chats now? Um, better still subscribe to the podcast, then they just pop up on your listening device. You don't have to do anything. You'll just get a little thing that goes, bing, Stuart's been talking to blah, blah, blah this week. And you can either press play or you can uh, not. Simple. Um, but yeah, uh, go explore the back catalogue and uh, get stuck in to some other Ace Chats. I'm back next time. Um, in the meantime, give us a like, love, share, retweet, all the usual stuff that I ask you to do. Um, and also, if you want to support the podcast, there's a Patreon, um, which costs you 79p a month, and you get bags of other content there and access to a back catalogue of a couple of hundred episodes and radio shows and video episodes and stuff there. You can find out about it all at your one-stop podcast shop, which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time, you bloody lovely lot. Um have a smashing week. Be excellent to each other. Love you. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat a